Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest on the phone. I think we fucking finally figured out how to do mountain time. <laughs> no thanks to you, Zach Mayfield. I'm just joking. I'm joking. Zach, I love you, Zach. Zach I love you, is Zach. the one that pointed out to us that there's two different mountain times. And so we are talking to Sean, who's in Colorado. So he's two hours. You're two hours behind us, right? That's right. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. No problem. So Sean is a massage therapist in Colorado and him and Mark have been talking on social media for a little while. And Sean says he's got some interesting stories. Um, he's an avid listener of the Unprofessional Hour, so he's got some of those. But he also said he's got a really good feel-good story for massage therapists about his start in the profession and um, working in the spa industry and now branching out on his own and doing something a little different. So um, this conversation can go any which way. We don't really know where it's going, which is what I like about these episodes. Uh, so Sean, why don't you first introduce yourself a little bit to everybody? Tell us a little bit of background about you, how long you've been a massage therapist, how you got into it. And uh, yeah, we'll just see where this morning takes us. Awesome. Thank you so very much. I'm glad to be here. I, uh, I started massaging in late 2011, finished school in about 2012, and I didn't get my license till 2013. And I had pretty significant uh, test anxiety. It took me four times to pass the Emblex. I almost thought I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> I uh, I took it and missed it by one point the first time. And it was devastating because each question's worth about three points. So it was half a question. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. You wanted to be a massage therapist this bad, I guess, right? So like, hmm. so bad. I'm trying to figure out, would I have stopped after number two? Like, would I have just said, fuck it and just call it a day? Would you have stopped or you would you what? have kept going? You, you know the answer when it comes to me. I'm the, per- I'm the person the that will wait 25 minutes for an elevator because I feel like, fuck, I've waited this long. I've committed this long. Better just keep going. Or I'm the person that'll watch the end of a shitty movie because I've already committed to it. So you would. So you I, would yeah, I feel like if I had already gotten that far, I'd gone through the school, I'd gotten the diploma, I'd studied, I'd taken the test. I feel like I would. Yeah, I would keep going. So, so wait a minute. How many how many opportunities do you have to take this test? So, for example, in Ontario, where we are, we are regulated healthcare professionals, and therefore we have a licensing exam. There's two parts to our licensing exam that is issued by our governing body, the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario. We have an OSCE exam, so that's the practical portion, and then we have an MCQ exam, which is a multiple choice question exam. So there's two parts to our licensing examination, and we only get three attempts on that. And if you fail three times any of the components, so in other words, you have to pass both of them, and a pass is a a, a grade above 70% in both the OSCE and the MCQ. And if you fail either the OSCE or MCQ three times, you can't do the exam again. You have to go back, to, to, go school back to school and obtain another diploma before you are permitted to do the exam again. How many times do you get to do that exam then? It's unlimited here. And uh, I was worried I was going to set the record for most of the <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what the record is. Yeah. I've, I've got a, a question out of curiosity then. 
is it very expensive to take the exam? Because that's the other thing. Here in Ontario, the test is not cheap. So I know a lot of therapists that, you know, they they take the test once and took it a second time. And honestly, going for that third time, I've seen people yeah. like Mark who question, like, do I pay for this again? Because, because the, it's, it's really expensive. The combined total of doing those two tests is like 1200 bucks. Yeah, it's not cheap. It is quite expensive, um, but it's only, you know, $150. So it, it does take a toll. Yeah, it's very interesting. I've learned uh, different techniques because I uh, I had to reset my nervous system a few times taking it. So I have tips for students that are struggling with that exam and kind of ways of going about it if you have test anxiety. So before you give out your, your tips to the exam, did you have any friends or family say, listen, dude, like maybe this isn't in the cards for you. Maybe we should just call it a day and go find something else to do. Or did you have a really kind of supportive network behind you? Sure. I had a very supportive network. I actually was studying night and day with my stepfather in our basement, just trying to cram and get as much down as I could, which kind of led me to uh, medical massage and knowing the wiring of the body just a little bit more just because I had to overstudy for this exam. Did you always have test anxiety? Like, how were you as a student before going to do your licensing exams? Sure. Well, in high school, I uh, I was a B student and I did fairly well. Um, as soon as I got to massage school, I was getting low C's on those exams and uh, I was there every day though. I was a dedicated student, but I definitely had trouble on the school end and uh, on the massage end, that was always my niche, especially in clinic. I'm so happy you said niche, even though you're American. Good on you. <laughs> um, Thank you much. So, okay. I, I know a lot of people who have this issue. For example, one of my very, very good friends, uh, she just graduated university. She went back to school as a mature student and got her university degree. And in high school and in college in the past, because I think she has two other college diplomas, um, she's always kind of struggled. But when you you sit down and speak with her. She knows her shit. She knows the material front and back. But the minute she had to sit down and take a test, she would just like, I guess, get this test anxiety and start making silly mistakes and questioning herself. And she would run out of time on tests because she's overthinking things. Like when you say test anxiety, is that the kind of thing you're talking about where you knew what you were doing, but then the minute you got in to do the test, you just went blank? That's correct. I knew the anatomy and the attachments very well. But as soon as I saw the time, uh, the time uh, clicking down, it just, I started to forget all the information. So I can uh, relate to anyone that has trouble with exams. I even had uh, a professor give me a couple verbal exams. I did very well on those. Oh, that's good. At least they recognize that it's not that you don't know your stuff. Because I feel like with Mark's question earlier when he said, did you have people saying, you know, dude, just give it up? Or were they very supportive? I feel like I would be very supportive of someone if I knew like you can do this and you'll be so great when you get in the field. It's just passing this damn test. Then yeah, in that case, I would have done it 10 times if I had to. Like if you know that this is the right career for you and you know your shit, it's just the obstacle of the test. Yeah, I would have kept going. Yeah, I'm just wondering. When I used to teach or even because of what we do with our continuing education company and one of the things that we do is an exam preparation. So we have a bunch of people that always come in that have failed a number of times or they've even failed three times and they have to go back and get a diploma. So we're always really encouraging that way. But it's always just to like make sure this is something you really, 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 really want to do because yeah. you're throwing tons of time and here you're throwing tons of money into your licensing exam. So make sure this 
something we want to do, mm-hmm. especially coming off of like the we we did a recording yesterday and we were talking about some people that end up getting into the field and then they didn't really want to be here and or they couldn't find their place in it and they just kind of kicked around in the field for a couple of years and they decided after that it's not for me and you know if you can find out if it's not for you right away then you can save yourself a lot of time yeah for sure but for you Sean you wanted to do this so uh, where do we want to start here? Do you want to start with some of the crazy stories or do you want to tell me, you said to me off mic that you've got this really feel good story about getting into massage. Was it starting with this test anxiety and how you finally passed the test? Like, tell me what this feel good story is. I think I need to feel good this morning. We had a rough start to our day. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I, uh, I've got quite the feel good story for you and I have a lot to say in a lot of different areas, but yes, it did start with school. I'd like to to start there. There were students that were getting hundreds on every exam, and uh, they ended up never being massage therapists. Uh, I remember they would uh, they would show everyone they got hundreds on the exams, and I was getting those low C's. But I realized that uh, in clinic it was for me. Actually, uh, we had one room, and there was like thirty different separators, so you could hear everyone in the room during clinic, and. Uh, I had a lot of my clients, like just, I was just experimenting, trying new techniques and it was sounding like an herbal essence commercial. Everyone was <laughs> laughing and kind of, it was very disruptive for the other student. That's where it all kind of started. You have to go YouTube herbal essence commercials now. Herbal essence commercials. You don't remember those? <laughs> no, they man. Liter- like, it was literally look like Look at my head. Do hair. I look like I have like anything important going on with my hair right We now? used to do, we had a project one time. I think I was in probably grade seven or grade eight and you had to take a product and sort of use their, their advertising, but like turn it into the opposite. So for example, we chose uh, herbal essence or herbal essence, the shampoo, and we made it herbal messiness. And those commercials, those herbal essence commercials, sounded like the women using the products were having like hair orgasms. Like it was. So someone tell me what it sounds like. I want to hear. I'm not doing it, Sean. You do it. <laughs> hey, you guys brought it up. Let me, let me hear it. Let you me, brought it up, Sean. Let me hear your hair orgasm. Oh God. Yeah, I don't know if I can replicate that, but yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Not half an day. Okay. No. I'll call it a day on that one then. Well, I uh, I continued to excel in clinic and then on the school end, I was struggling, but I had to be there every day and I had to study for hours even after school just to kind of make sure I knew everything that had happened from that day. But the confidence never went away because I would get the, uh, uh, what's it called, the reviews from all the clients in clinic. And it was just rave reviews, one after another, and which I still have. I've kept all of them. Oh, that's and, nice. And uh, I always would look at those. So I was able to get through school. And like I said, I, uh, I basically took the exam for about a year before I was able to pass. So I took it every three months. So in the three months between tests, were you just like hardcore studying the entire time? I was going uh, about four hours a day. And in that time, my bird, I had a cockatiel and I had this bird for about 17 and a half years. Her name was Lucy and uh, shout out to Lucy. And she had passed away and it just meant a little bit more to make sure I passed this exam. Um, So I finally passed the exam in March of 2013. And then shortly after that, I got a call from uh, one of the top spas in uh, the United States, Massage Envy. They're also 
the leading educator to the public. They just have the most commercials. Mm-hmm. I, I have to respect them for that, not only. But uh, I have a lot of stories about working with the spas, and I've worked for the Hand in Stones and the Massage MBs. And uh, I was able to accomplish a lot in a very short period of time. I would say my first year at Massage MB, there was a requirement that you had to be a therapist for about seven to 10 years before you could become a lead therapist. And right after two months, they saw what I was doing and they promoted me to a lead therapist, which didn't sit well with some of the seasoned veterans. No, I can imagine people would be pissed. They were pretty pissed. What did they say to you? Like, what was it they, they saw in you that they felt this this guy needs to be a lead therapist, even though he's only been in the field for 10 minutes? Right. So I was really very knowledgeable about the body and the wiring of the body and medical massage. Like, that was my niche. So I started applying that to clients and working And they saw that and they were impressed with my client retention rate. So basically anyone I saw almost, I think it was like 98% of them rebooked with me right after. And the way Massage Envy does it, there's no real client loyalty, which really upset me, upset me and others is that you could have a client for years. And if you were just unavailable that day, they would go to the next person. Mm -hmm. So I was somehow cherry picking you know, some clients that these seasoned therapists have had for years, they instantly loved what I was doing and then rebooked with me and it started all kinds of problems. Yeah, I could see how people would get pissed about that. However, what did those problems look like, though? Like, tell me, is it sure? Is it who's this fucking guy? We just don't like him. Is it people are telling you shit? Like, how does this go down? Yeah, it just caused a myriad of problems such as the front desk girl could be really tight with that therapist that was upset with you. And if you didn't get along with that therapist, then it would turn into office politics and uh, you'd be booked less and uh, cause a myriad of problems around the office. That's kind of crazy to me. I mean, I've worked in in environments where there's multiple therapists and it happens where sometimes, you know, somebody's regular therapist isn't available, but the client can't book in with them and they'll agree to see somebody else. It's not because they're, you know, the other therapist is necessarily trying to steal a client or poach a client or whatever you want to say. It's just they happen to fit their schedule. And I had it happen to me where somebody booked with me and she was a a regular or sorry, he was a regular of another therapist at the clinic. And he booked in with me and he said, you know, this is a very different approach than I was doing with with the other therapist. And I would like to see you again to see where this goes, because I, I think I like what you're doing here. And so I said, okay, no problem. Like, I mean, you're a person, you're autonomous, you can choose to see whomever you you please, right? So I, I booked him back in with me, but then I went to the other therapist to let her know, like, just so she didn't think I was trying to steal her clients. But it did still cause some tension between her and I. She said, well, why wouldn't you book him back in with me? And I tried to explain to her, you know, he requested to come back and see me. And in that moment, what's what's the most important thing? It should be the client, right? Another thing, if a client just meshes better and prefers a certain therapist, you want to have the clients that make sense for you and that want to see you. So, I mean, politics. Absolutely. I, uh, I always thought it would be uh, an advantage to having a membership. You get a little bit of, you know, what everyone's good at. And, you know, I never mind, minded sharing anyone, but at the beginning, it just seemed to cause all kinds of controversy, and there was a lot of uh, cattiness about it. 
and uh, a lot of unprofessionalism, which I noticed right off the bat. And I kind of just put my head down and just worked hard. And it was very interesting. I also kind of led me to a couple other things that I noticed about uh, working in the spa that, you know, it might be a heads up to anyone who's just coming out of school. For instance, there was an issue with the front desk uh, stealing our cash tips. And I created a system. (laughs) I created a system on uh, catching them which I think would be helpful to share. So are you like Sean massage therapist slash private investigator? Like how did you, how you were you catching them stealing your tips? So I told uh, some of my regulars, uh, tell me how much you're going to give me. I'm, I'm a little suspicious of the front desk girl. So tell me how much you're going to give me in cash. And then also tell me the next time I see you. So they'd say, okay, Sean, I'm going to give you $20 today. And then at the end of the day, I'd grab my cash tips and there would be a $10. Mm. So I, was, I found out that she was taking a 20 and making it a 10. Wow. Now, either she's, a, I mean, she, no matter what, she's a dishonest person. You don't do that. But if you feel you've got to steal the therapist's cash tips, maybe Massage Envy also wasn't paying their uh, their front desk staff very well. That's, oh, that's pretty crappy. So unfortunately, it happened a couple of times in a couple different spots. So it, it was a reoccurring a, a, a thing. Was that happening? with other therapists too or just you? It was happening to other therapists and when I brought it to the attention of the owner, they went back, checked the cameras and they caught them all. So on top of the If you know facts, those cameras, why are you doing that? Like, well, because they probably thought that nobody's ever going to look at them, right? I don't know, man. That's right. that's that's a desperate move to me. So I'm starting to see that, okay, first you come in and clients love you. Then the owners and all the big wigs, they start to love you because they realize you've got this retention. And let's be honest, when it comes to business, I, I mean, they the owners of Massage Envy probably cared less about the fact that you were really, really yeah, in tune with the body. and you, they, No, they cared about your 98% retention rate. Got it. So now they're starting to pay notice to you. Then you catch the person who's ripping off the therapist. So more people are paying notice to you. So I can I can see why they wanted to bring you up to senior therapist, but of course there's going to be the jealous people. Okay, but all those jealous people, you just got them their cash tips back. Like, <laughs> do you go from being the dick to being the hero at this point, or or you're still the dick? So I'm still the dick, and then I'm slowly noticing things about this spa that I would see in other. Um, I worked for two massage envies. I saw it in both spas and there were prominent ones in the area. Um, I noticed there was a trend of just filthiness. Um, they claimed that they would have the rooms professionally cleaned, but um, honestly, all I, that I noticed were there, that they were taking out the trash, just vacuuming the rug. But it, under uh, massage lights, you could see fingerprints up all over the rooms and uh, I noticed that uh, you would never replace the lotion bottles. Uh, we were required to wash them once a year, which I think is disgusting. Once a year? Once a year. They, would, they were required to wash the lotion bottles, but they didn't even do that on time. Just right. kept refilling them like ketchup bottles. You should see our faces right now. We're like, this is disgusting. <laughs> really? Ew. And it makes you wonder what they're going to do during this COVID stuff. Yeah. That's the practice pre-COVID. What's it going to be post-COVID? <laughs> oh, well, that's the thing was we we made jokes about the fact that like massage therapists were, you know, we we're already, we already had standards in place to make sure that we were keeping everything clean. But the more I talk to people, I'm realizing that 
there was a lot of people who were cutting corners that way, like people who were not changing uh, the table covers. I've heard that from a few different therapists. Like they would keep the same fitted sheet on their table for like a week. So they'd see like, you know, 20, mm. 30 clients with the same fitted sheet underneath. Why? Same is it, is blankets. It, is it just laziness or is it the is it the extra cost that might come with cleaning I think to standards? In some like, cases, it's probably I the feel therapist. Like it's just lazy. Yeah. In some cases, it's the therapist like, being no lazy. For that. Well, I heard a story recently from a massage therapist about gross. another therapist that I actually do know. And she told me that she would never change the blanket. Like, so she'd keep the, she'd change the sheets, but she would never change the blanket, or at least she would only do it like maybe once a week. But she said when she would walk by her treatment room, when she was changing her table over, the blanket would be on the floor, like sometimes just thrown in the corner of the floor, and then she'd put it back on her it's table. So fucking, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm grossed out. It's so gross. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty simple. This is a pretty simple concept, people. It's called publicity and universality, right? In other words, if everybody knew what you were doing, would you still do what you're doing? Would right. you be proud of what exactly. you're doing? And universality. If everybody was doing what you were doing, would you be okay would, with that? Would you be okay with the state of the world? <laughs> and it's that simple. If the answer is no to any one of those things, you fucking you're doing curb your wrong. behavior. Yeah. Like <laughs> It's not rocket science. I'm laughing, but I'm so disgusted. Like, not clean. Okay, so tell me this, Sean. You said they were only required right. to clean the no lotion bottles. I feel itchy once after a year. I can see right? somebody. <laughs> Holy fuck. Well, that's why I'm picky about who I go to as well. I only go to therapists I know. So, with these lotion bottles that you were only required to clean once a year, like, let's say you just completed a treatment. Is it the responsibility of the therapist to go in and, like, disinfect the room before the next one, or were there other staff to do that? Right. Well, is it the responsibility of the therapist to wipe down the room. Okay. I just don't think that was happening, but unfortunately that wasn't the grossest thing I encountered and it gets better from here. Oh Jesus. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So the state requires, I think this is disgusting too. The state requires you wash the blankets once a week. Yep. That's disgusting. So there could be about 250 people on that blanket before it gets washed. I think I threw up in my mouth. I think bit. that's gross. <laughs> Ew. Okay. So <laughs> at these most prominent massage envy spas, they weren't even washing the blankets once a week. You know oh. what? And and you have no fucking idea what someone's doing to your blanket. Like you know what's happening during the massage, but there's that point in time when you're not in the room with them when they're yeah. when they're disrobing and they're getting changed back, and you have no fucking clue what's happening with that fucking blanket. Right. Well, just as an example, there is a client that I used to treat when I first started, and he was he was just a sweaty guy, so he. He would ask me to leave a towel for him like when I left the room before he was going to get dressed again because he would wipe his whole body down after the massage and then he'd leave the towel like on the sheets for me to clean up. And there was a couple of times where I forgot to leave the towel out for him. And so he would, I mean, thankfully he would tell me, but he would tell me like, oh, sorry, I used uh, the blanket to like wipe off my chest, like wipe the lotion off my chest. So imagine I'm at a massage envy. Some guy decides to wipe the lotion off his chest before getting dressed. And I don't know at all. And I put the same blanket back on for 200 other people. Like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Note to self when I'm in the States, massage envy. No, thank you. Right. It was so disgusting. I couldn't believe it. Unfortunately, there was those things that I kept seeing and it was just to the point where I had to leave that one spa to go to another. I was just so disgusted, but then soon to find out it was the same thing over and over. And I was starting to think that maybe it wasn't in their budget. The washing and drying machines would always break and there was always an expensive venture for the, uh, the owner. So I know that they were always uh, hit with some fees here and there. 
And I'm, I was just starting to think that even the most clean, to be the most cleanliness, um, I don't think that was in their budget. There are certain things that they just couldn't keep up on. Uh, very disgusting. So the saddest thing for me about that, I mean, there's multiple things that are sad about that, but you're saying that the cleanliness wasn't in their budget. But at the beginning, you said what was great about Massage Envy was the public education because they had all of these locations and they their advertising. I mean cleanliness should just be baseline. Like you should not be allowed to operate if you can't afford to keep the place clean for the public and, you know, make sure that nobody's going to be getting like bed bugs or an infection from coming for a massage. So I feel like maybe decreasing the advertising budget and increasing the cleaning budget would have been in their best interest. I got a question actually, and it goes along the lines with this stuff. Do you guys ever get audited as therapists? Do you ever get assessed as therapists once you have your license? So for example, in in Canada, in Ontario, when you are a member of a regulated college, like the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario or the College of Physiotherapists of Ontario, you get peer assessed. You get randomly selected for a peer assessment, which means someone from the college is going to come into your practice and sit down and make sure that you're meeting standard with all of these things, right? You're meeting standard with your records. You're meeting standard with uh, the cleanliness of your clinic. You're meeting standard with your billing practices. You're up to date on all of the current legislation and and uh, and governing body policies and stuff like that. Do you guys have that there? To have someone from your association that grants you your license, do you guys ever get audited in that regard? Because for example, for us, like sure. that's one of the reasons why like one it's disgusting if you if you keep your place like really kind of dirty but there's also that background fear of man if i get selected for a peer assessment and they come in and see this then i'm fucking up shit's creek here yeah or and on top of that do you guys have a platform for clients to complain have any kind of complaints against the therapist because here we do as well so if something is happening during a massage therapy treatment and the client feels like "Mm, this isn't this isn't right. There's an avenue for them to complain about a given therapist. And that, again, is something that is used to kind of make sure that therapist is on the straight and narrow and, and is doing everything up to standard all the time. Do you guys have these auditing systems and these complaint systems in place that can take care of something like this? That was a great point. And uh, when I was there, I don't believe we had any of that set up. It was just a corporate entity in those spas. And you know, they pay the big bucks and uh, there's not, there wasn't much regulation. I did some research and I found out that every massage envy spends about $20,000 a month before anyone else gets in the doors. So they all spend, each one spends $10,000 a month for advertising and on average $10,000 a month for rent. So there's a, a lot of pressure on these uh, managers to kind of just get everyone in and booked solid. Mm-hmm. So earlier we were talking about the exams. You write the MBLEX exam. So that then makes you a licensed massage therapist. So I think what Mark's question was, as a licensed massage therapist, is there any any of these systems in place to make sure that you as a therapist, now that you're off on your own, which we haven't got to yet, but you're working on your own, is there anything in place for you know, a client to complain if something wasn't up to up to standard? Or is there anything in place for you to get assessed to make sure that you're doing things properly and that your space isn't dirty and that you're keeping proper records? Or does that not exist for you? Sure, it does exist here. We do have uh, secret shoppers uh, in the United States that'll come from uh, our regulatory department and check variously. So, I mean, wouldn't 
a chain as big as Massage Envy or any of these other places, wouldn't they be afraid or are they maybe not afraid because it's not them that's going to get the shit, it's the therapist? In any establishment, it's always going to be the the therapist, therapist, right? Because the therapist is a licensed professional. So even if you're working in my multidisciplinary clinic and someone from the college comes in and says, hey, this is what's going on, they're not going to look at the establishment, they're going to look at you and your practice, right? So I I can see why Massage Envy might not give a shit, right? So okay, big deal, one of our therapists has some sort of reprimand against them. Okay, we'll, we'll fire them, we'll get another one. What do we care? I understand how that would work on their part. I mean, I'm not condoning it. I think it's a horrible idea, but I, I get it now, at least. Now this whole thing makes more sense mm-hmm. to me. All right, so on top of all of the gross shit, or are you not even done with the gross shit? <laughs> if you have more gross stories, actually, I kind of want to hear them. This is fun. I've, I've got one more good one. I saved the best for last. Yes, go for it. You ready? Okay, so here's something I noticed, and this is kind of a... Uh, kind of like a warning for all massage therapists because I'm sure we've done it before and it's just kind of like a heads up uh, for cleanliness. So I noticed that all the therapists would do the consultation and as soon as they left the room, they would go to our back room and they would check their phones and their phones have all kinds of fecal matters on it. So we were told to put the phones down when we go back in the treatment room. Some therapists actually kept the phones on them, which is against the law. Um, so basically everyone would touch the phones. No one would wash their hands. They'd go straight back into the room and touch the client after looking at their phones. Yep. I've seen that. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but yeah, I've seen it. I've seen therapists come out and they'll go wash their hands, but then they'll look at their phone before going into treat. I'm like, well, you just washed your hands. Like you're doing this backwards. Check your phone first and then go wash your hands. You see? See? I've actually heard of therapists here who are uh, using their phones, like texting while they're treating, like treating with one hand. Mm. And the client has said they can hear the therapist texting, uh, like while they're prone, they can hear the therapist texting. Yeah, I think we had someone on our podcast talking about that. I don't remember who though. I don't remember who either, but that... If therapist, if you're listening and you do that, please don't do that. Like, I feel like that's so like the that bare minimum. You, right? That would drive me fucking insane. What if it was the best massage you ever had, but they were also texting at the same time? Would you give a shit? <laughs> it's the best massage you ever had. You're like, holy fuck, you did stuff. I don't know what you did, but whatever you did is gold. And I'll come back any day of the week. And they were texting. If I'm that <laughs> happy, okay, maybe I would put mm. the texting aside. I mean, the professional in me is saying, don't fucking do it. But I, like I said, I'm annoyed by, I'm annoyed by, you know, how I am. Like if a therapist is chewing gum while they're treating me, I'm annoyed. I feel like I would be really annoyed if if a therapist was texting because it just feels like one, they're not paying attention. Two, yeah, they're touching their dirty ass phone. I like I clean my phone. I don't know about you guys, but I use like alcohol wipes or um, like the hand sanitizer or whatever a couple times a day. And I actually clean my phone because phones are disgusting. They go everywhere. You touch something, you touch your phone. Like it's, they're gross. So, and yeah, I've heard the thing about there being fecal matter on the phone. So I, yeah, I clean my phone, but does, does everybody clean their phone? Probably not. So I think I'd be pretty grossed out if there was a therapist texting while treating me. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. And I saw that everywhere and it just kind of kept reoccurring. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is probably one of the (laughs) grossest things. And then uh, (laughs) I noticed everyone would get sick, all the therapists, all the clients. The rooms weren't clean, so clients were getting sick. They were calling off all the therapists that were, you know, not sleeping very well. And, you know, some of the ones that partied at night didn't get a lot of sleep. They came in. Those guys were getting sick all the time. I mean, it was just. Uh, I learned from my private practice that you have to be extremely 
the cleanliness has to be there just so you don't get sick. Yeah. And just because the opposite of cleanliness is what? Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine what these people are like in their personal life? Like you're like this at work. Imagine what your personal life is like. It's probably way worse. You're, you're doing this at work where people can see you. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when you're at home and there ain't no one and there? No one can see there is no one there to judge your actions. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right? Yeah, I've learned over the years that people are pretty gross. Yeah, it was so disgusting. I couldn't believe it. So, were you reporting this kind of behavior that you saw? Is that why people started to I hate was. you? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, Sean, you were just asking to be hated. <laughs> well, it's good. Good for you for reporting that. I mean, I don't know if I would just because pff, that's just me, but someone should. <laughs> and if I'm not doing it, then someone else will. Really, Sean's doing it. That's good, well, though. The ones that were hating on me, the ones that were causing trouble and hating on me, I definitely let the owner know that they were doing all that stuff. But it was... Uh, it was just, yeah, that was my experience at a spa right out of school, working for a good spa. And uh, there was a couple of things, like I said, I just kind of put my head down for a little bit. And uh, there was a couple of techniques that I kind of perfected that uh, made me uh, kind of like a fan fave over there. I, uh, I uh, perfected this one technique called the, uh, it was a piriformis stretch with like a glute emphasis. So it was like this hip stretch. And as a male therapist, you have to do different things to separate yourself and to be relevant in a pretty tough industry where here I would say maybe 10% or less of male therapists actually make it and thrive. Mm -hmm. You never had issues filling your practice, even though you were a male therapist. And I know I've heard from other, it's, I mean, it's, it's the same here in, in Canada. There's 80% of RMTs in Ontario, at least, are female. So it's definitely a female-dominated industry, which, by the way, I know I've had other people on here who worked in spas, and they described it similar to you as as being catty. And in the same breath, almost each one of them has said, because you're working with all women. Did, was that the case for you? Did you feel like it? you were one of the few men there and maybe the cattiness was was the female's fault? Sorry, women, I'm just asking because other people have said that. <laughs> sure. No, that's actually a really good question. It made me think of something. So I was maybe one of two male therapists at all times in a spa. And there was a lot of cattiness in the back room. And a lot of it was just not leaving your uh, your life, like your business at the door. So everyone would come in and complain about their lives. And I just thought it was really unprofessional and I just didn't want to hear it. Like for me, I just kind of, I love my clients, but I kind of just wanted to come in every day, do my thing and then go home. I didn't really want to make the, uh, the break room, like an extension of my everything else. Yeah. And that's a personality thing. I think some people go to work and like the social aspect of it. I will admit when I worked in clinics with other people, like we got to know each other. We became friends. That's my personality. Mark has also worked in busy clinics and he liked to go in, put his head down and just, you know, do his work and go home. He wasn't going there to socialize and make friends. Honestly, as a massage therapist, being a busy massage therapist at a busy clinic, I don't know where there was time to fucking socialize and do stuff. I mean, if I go there for a seven hour shift, Guess what? I've got seven or six people. You also there. Like, skipped uh, all the staff meetings I attended. Well, I didn't. 
I mean, it was a part-time job. I was part-time at that particular place because I was teaching full-time. And so they had their staff meetings every time I was not you available. Were, I'm putting in air quotes. Oh, part, the other place. I'm, I'm putting in air quotes part-time. Okay, yeah, no, like, no, no. You're right. Yes, right. he was part-time, but he was busy as fuck. Well, part-time. He was still treating 20 to 25 hours a week yeah, as a yeah, part-time well, that's job. that's part-time work. That's, that's a, a part-time job, right? But that's, but that's a lot for part-time is my well, point. Well, the bottom line is I was busy. So like I went, where's the time to socialize with anybody between patients or between clients? Yeah, you've clients. got five like, minutes between people there's, to there's say, There's no hey, time there. So you, you get in there, you do your thing, you massage, you treat somebody, they're out, the next person's in, you treat somebody, they're out there, next person. And then, you know, if I if I haven't done my documentation for each person between, then I got to spend time doing that. And then by the time I do all that shit, I'm, I'm finished. I'm out of here. Like it's been seven hours, guys. Let's uh, let's uh, <laughs> see, see you in a couple of days. You know, yeah. there's, and, and every every other practitioner was like that as well. The chiros, the physios, they were all busy just working. So, you know, it's not like it, it, in those scenarios, like when I was working those places, it's not like I'm there for like 12 hours of the day and I might be actually working or treating for six or seven of them. It's like, no, I'm there for a given amount of time and I'm book solid for That's that time. That's true. That's that how you, the shifts were set up. Like a lot of the places I worked at, I would have an open schedule for like, you know, 10 to 12 hours. Right. So I'd end up having breaks there and I'd hang exactly. out in the break room for an hour and, you know, therapists would come in and out and we would chat. Whereas you would go in, they would book you solid for six hours and then you'd go home. And I go home. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Sean, we totally got sidetracked. But yeah, that <laughs> I mean, that's, I was just, you know, comparing the fact that, and I, then I started to think, is it more of a, a male female thing again? Like, do, do the, do the women just like to go in and talk because that's what we do? <laughs> Every time you guys give me more ideas when you say that. Um, it's my job, Sean. Other ideas it's my job. Expanding my mind. It was a motivation for me. I can appreciate both sides. Like if you, you know, I'm an introvert, you know, for the extroverts, go at it, have fun. But my motivation was the busier I was, the less at that time spending in that break room. But honestly, from what I was hearing, it wasn't quality content. So it was just, I didn't really want to be in there. Mark's giggling, by the way. It wasn't quality content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally get what you're saying, man. I'm an introvert too. And I'm like, you know, I can deal without all of this stuff. And then you remember in school when everyone would work on each other at the same time? I thought it would be like that in the break room. You'd have like four or five people giving you like a neck massage, working your hands. None of that was true. No. It didn't exist. No. I've never seen that anywhere that I am, but I understand why. Tough. When I'm on my break, this is the I'm funny thing. This is, this is the only thing that happened every once in a while at one of these places that I was at. So, you know, the off time where mm, a patient or client didn't show up and then it would be, oh, someone else sitting around. Let's do like a little bit on our forearms or whatever the case is. This, is that, this yeah. actually happened with me. <laughs> all the other stuff didn't happen at all. I, uh, I had a great time uh, <laughs> trying to make it happen. And uh, actually, my last stint with Envy was uh, memorable. They have a uh, like a no altercation rule. I was involved in the physical altercation, which led to my last day there, which I'm so glad that happened. Okay, now you got to yeah, tell we, us. Yeah, we need there. this story. Yes. So this is the final Massage Envy story. I was... Uh, I was in the lobby and I was getting ready to pick up a client and uh, another therapist who is a male therapist and was a bit of a hothead was having trouble with his girlfriend and I was giving him just various tips and advice on what he should do and he wasn't listening and he made a comment in passing about his girlfriend and I gave him a straight up answer that he didn't exactly like in the moment 
and on camera in the front lobby, he put hands on me and started shoving me around. And the front desk girl was there. The clients were sitting in the lobby. They saw everything. It was on camera. At that point, they had let me go because I was in a physical altercation, even though I had nothing to do with it. Okay. But I feel like I need details. Like, did you side with his girlfriend? Is that why he put hands on you? Did you know his girlfriend? Did he think that you were like interested? Like, what could you have possibly said to get this guy so pissed that he started a physical fight with you at his place of work in front of clients and staff? Well, he was a guy who didn't like hearing the truth. And I was telling him basically that the girl he was dating that wasn't uh, working out very well, that he should probably move on and not uh, date this girl anymore and go through the brain trauma that he was going through. And I gave him a straight up answer and he, uh, he went into rage mode and just started shoving me around. So basically your original instinct to go to work, keep your head down and not converse with anybody was right because look what happened when you decided to right. actually get involved in the personal what life. What happened with the other dude? What happened with the guy that was messing around with you? So we were both let go, but that actually leads me into something else I wanted to say just real briefly was that... The guy who owned that Massage Envy, he owned 19 of them. So he's basically monopolizing the entire market for Massage Envy. And this guy came in maybe a month prior to that. And we had all these, all of our managers were single mothers. He literally just sent them to the street. No warning. Fired all our managers. Had this new crew come in. And he basically was... You know, the new management were bullying all the therapists and it really wasn't a great scene there. And a lot of people were thinking about leaving. Well, that's unfortunate. So the the other guy that got fired, do you know, like the guy that uh, you got in the altercation with, do you know what ended up happening with him? Did he get another job? Like, does something like that go on a record anywhere that, you know, did you guys get in any kind of trouble outside of Massage Envy letting you go? Uh, There was no real uh, repercussions for him except for legal. Um, I definitely, uh, I I, I took it to court on that and uh, he faced some things from that, but he was soon uh, hireable again and went to another spa, but he was kind of known as a hothead and he had some like rage issues. I noticed I went to lunch with him once and he was extremely aggressive driving. I mean, to the point where we probably, we were getting close to getting into an accident with a few people and he was just known as a hothead. And I noticed that there wasn't a whole lot of guidelines for hiring and, you know, they'll take someone right out of school, but there wasn't a whole lot on personal and character because I noticed there was a lot of other guys, uh, the other males that I encountered, there was a few that were uh, let go for inappropriate behavior as well. So they didn't screen them out very well. Well, that leads us to you no longer working for Massage Envy. And did you work at any other spas after that? Or is that when you decided to go off on your own and focus more on what you termed as medical massage? You would think that would be it. But I, I decided to try one more spa. And it was in the suburbs and pretty well-known spa. Uh, I was there for about a year. And uh, I noticed some of the same things were happening. The cleanliness was right there, too. Um, but the most memorable thing was, uh, there's a magazine here called 5280 and they rate the best, uh, best in towns. 
And that year I had a record year. I did 868 treatments and I had 105 clients. I saw them more than three times. So I was booming. And uh, I uh, uh, statistically had the highest retention rate among clients and new client signups. And, you know, we get this award right after I've been there. I thought everything was going to be great, get a raise. And I kept seeing some of the same things happening over and over again. So I decided it was time to go. I love the way that we're having this conversation and it's, we're, the language is just so different. And I guess maybe it's an American thing versus a Canadian thing. Like right away, you're going into like the stats and the retention rate. And, you know, we've talked, we've had business coaches on in the past and we've talked about that, how the business coaches in the States are very, very focused on numbers, which is like a normal, um, a normal thing to talk about when you're talking about businesses, numbers, numbers, numbers. But healthcare, we seem to, it's sort of like dance around the numbers instead of just focusing on the, you know what I mean? So it's just been interesting listening to you talk about, and I had this retention rate and my stats were showing that I had this many massages and the, I don't ever hear massage therapists speak that way. So that was uh, kind of interesting. So when you decide to go off on your own, do you set up a home-based practice? Like what did you do? Can I backstep just a hair? Because you, you expanded my mind again. So, <laughs> so I used to ask and get requested for, um, Anyone who's severely injured, anyone, you know, the, the, the toughest ones that would come in a spa, um, they would send my way because it was, it gave me my greatest joy in life and still does to help anyone who's in severe pain. Um, anyone that's had some troubling injuries, they've seen specialists, you know, five states out and um, couldn't find anyone to really help them. You know, that's really kind of where my passion lies then and now. You really, really love this career. I'm so glad you kept going back to do that exam every time your anxiety came back. You really, like, just the way you talk about it, you love this job so much, don't you? It's funny, but I, I love it more and more every day. It's just the opportunity, like, I can't get my hands on enough. It's just, it brings me my greatest joy. It's uh, it's a great feeling to help anyone. We can physically change anyone just in one shot. It's pretty incredible. Agreed. So let's talk about your business now then. All right. Well, there was um, in 2017, I uh, met my girlfriend who's also a massage therapist and she happened to be the second uh, back-to-back massage therapist that I had dated. She had her own business. It was, I think she was 12 years in and uh, she invited me to join her business. And now we're together and uh, it's been about three years. And the first year there, sorry to throw up stats again, but uh, we had won uh, best in town. So I had won one in the spa and one in private, which is pretty special being, you know, inside of 10 years as a massage therapist. Yeah. But that's not really like, it's not even what I'm most proud of. I guess emphasizing I was able to accomplish a lot in a short period of time, but there's some techniques that, you know, I'd love to tell you about. I do a lot of migraine relief work and, uh, most people are on computers, as you know, that's the job these days. And I created a treatment. I started, I, I, coined the term in 2011, 2012, but it became popular. I wish I would have trademarked it, but it's Technec. So basically these knots form behind the ear and shoot down. It's just from posture and 
kind of hovering over the keyboard. So I devised a treatment where I can push these knots out. I squeeze them to the shoulder, and then when I flip them over, I squish them out of the shoulder. But there's also a treatment in the forearms just from overuse on the keyboard. So I get those knots out too, because it's almost like taking a live hose and crinkling it up. You get that sporadic flow, and that's why people have tingliness in their fingers. And they get headaches all the way up through the back of their head. I believe it's all caused by tech neck. Tech neck. Yeah, I often use the the term text neck, but I've heard both tech neck, text neck. <laughs> I mean, essentially, it's the same thing. It's everybody is attached to their devices, right? They're either on their computer, yeah. on their laptop, on their tablet, on their phone, and. I do believe it's a thing. You're going to have you're going to have some hate, Sean. I'm just telling you because there's a lot of people who do not agree that posture and pain are as closely related as we once thought. And uh but I mean, if you're getting results, like I'm always the first to say if you're getting results and your clients are happy and they come to you for treatment and you make them better, whatever techniques you're using, whatever you're doing, they buy into it, they enjoy it, and it's working. And I don't care if it's working because there's science or it's working because it's a placebo. I don't care. If it's working, it's working. And I'm like, hallelujah, we figured out a way to make somebody better. I want to ask you a question. Not, I know I'd let you, I let you talk about the techniques because I know you really wanted to, but I was dying to ask you now that you're dating your second massage therapist, do you guys treat each other? We do. We, we did more in the beginning. Now we just, uh, it's kind of funny. We're both anatomy nerds and uh, we have like a whole line of self-care products that we have right uh, in our living room. And we're basically, we, we work on each other and we also, you know, we're using these devices while we're sitting there watching TV and we're huge on self-care. It's funny. We have all these different devices and stuff we use on each other, but uh, more in the beginning, there was more spa days and treating each other in the beginning of the relationship. Most definitely. Good for you guys. And how has it been working together now being partners and business partners? How's that working out? Do you guys find that you take a lot of work home or do you deal with work at work? And when you're home, you're like, okay, no, no shop talk. Yeah, actually, when we're at home, there's almost no shop talk. We, we leave it all at the office. Every once in a while, there'll be a little discussion on finances and you know, uh, certain business decisions. But I would say 90% of the time we, uh, we don't discuss work at home in that retrospect, like the, the business itself. Do you guys have similar philosophies when it comes to treatment? Like, would you say that you're similar therapists or is her style so widely different from yours that, you know, you guys would never be seeing the same type of clients? Uh, I would say our techniques and our style is completely different. A lot of my techniques are, you know, stuff I formed from school and then I actually recreated a lot of stuff as well. So a lot of it's, you know, stuff that I created. I know that was something you were excited about talking about. I'm totally open if you want to share some of your secrets. And I mean, normally on the show, I'm going to be honest with you, we don't go into techniques so much for the reason that one, it's audio. Nobody can see what you're talking about. So you have to be really right. good with painting word pictures. <laughs> but two, because the truth is with massage therapists, there's so many different techniques. There's so many different styles and so many different philosophies that what works for one person may not work for another. But hey, if somebody's listening and it resonates with them, I'm totally open to that. So if there's any of the, you know, the treatment protocols or techniques that you feel anyone could benefit from, sure, go ahead. Tell us about them. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, one thing is I remember in school, they were very adamant about endangerment sites. And I just want to say there's a couple really good spots 
for right around the endangerment sites that are attachment sites that really kind of hold both sides. Like for instance, uh, the armpits, you know, with, uh, when you're doing peck work and when you're working the traps on the back, mm-hmm. all that stuff is very much connected through the armpit and under there. And there's a lot of release spots that can be fingertip released, especially peck work towards the armpit that I think is invaluable work. I mean, especially for females, but I do peck work on everyone. And I guess the emphasis and love for peck work, it's it's incredibly important. But one thing I noticed with a lot of my clients is kind of that upper rib, like that thoracic rib. It's It's very commonly always out of place. And there's a way you can get it back in with that with not being a chiropractor or feeling like you're a chiropractor in treatment. But there's a way where you can get them to just you warm up that area and uh, you get them to just breathe out slowly. And then just right when they're breathing out at the most deepest, you put some pressure and uh, it's it pops that thoracic rib back into place. But I notice a lot of people who travel or like when they're pulling the luggage off of that that circular what do you, conveyor belt, mm-hmm. I could almost see people popping ribs out of place just doing that that twist. You know, I think it's common for anyone doing yard work or you know, lifting anything. It's really easy for those guys to get out of place. And I think a lot of people come in and say, hey, you know, I've got this spot in between my scapulas. And, you know, a lot of times it's that fiber too, but also it's just that thoracic rib out of place. And I think as a massage therapist, it's essential to getting that back in. I, in my treatment, I feel like that's part of what I do. But I also do a little bit of everything as well. I also love to stretch my guys. I think uh, passive assistive is the best stretching there is. I think the message here is an important one, regardless of where you practice or how you treat. Because again, like some of the stuff you're saying, I know I haven't heard it termed that way. And I guess it all depends on where you went to school. But the important message here is just to have the confidence, you know, when you're talking about, you know, being told don't go near these sites, but there's also muscle attachment sites there. If you know your physiology and your anatomy well enough, you, you know, you can understand where it is safe and isn't safe and just being confident in yourself as a therapist and, you know, obviously not doing things that are contraindicated or that are going to be unsafe for your client, but using all of the techniques possible to make sure that you're, you know, you're causing some type of improvement. And in terms of mobilizing ribs, we are absolutely permitted to do that. We can't do any high velocity joint mobilizations or adjustments, but we can, we can definitely mobilize the ribs and it's, 100% should be part of, uh, part of treatment is, uh, using joint mobilizations. I mean, Mark and I teach a course in joint mobilizations as one of our, Mm -hmm. our courses here at Con Ed. And we both do believe that it's underutilized and it does come down to confidence sometimes because in school, maybe when you learned it, you didn't quite get enough practice time or, you know. Or like there's a dude that, uh, he takes a lot of our courses. He's from New York. And uh, he's. I asked him the other day because we were doing we were doing the course and we were talking over Zoom and we we're doing some virtual meetings together. I'm like, do you learn this in school? He's like, nope, yeah. we don't. We don't even learn this at all. So I guess that's what Sean <sighs> is saying is he noticed that people are coming in and their ribs are out and all he's doing is mobilizing the ribs and they're getting relief. Well, if mm-hmm. you never learned mm-hmm. rib mobilizations in school, mm-hmm. then yeah, I guess a lot of therapists wouldn't be using it. We thankfully do learn mobilizations in school. But I guess, again, depending on where you studied, we've got different skill sets. That all depends. And I'm so glad you guys do that. That's awesome. 
I, uh, I just, I guess the main message is, yeah, to encourage anyone to kind of think outside the box too and you know work around those areas there's some really good release spots around them and there's a lot of things you can discover outside of school it's just uh putting in those hours and just uh finding uh what the best needs are and what works and apparently data massage therapists and you guys can be anatomy nerds together and learn and practice on each other (laughs) and that always helps too Anything else you want to ask Sean about? Mm, I don't know. I've liked this this conversation. Like I said at the beginning, was uh, we didn't know where we were going into, but it was it was really inspiring to talk to somebody who, like you, just have such a passion for this. And even though you struggled through school, you figured out a way to get your license, and still ten years in, you're still learning. You're so excited about techniques. You're so excited to share with people about techniques. And I mean, even just the ethical side of the conversation conversation we've had, you know, in the places you've worked at, yeah, you got some hate for it, but you care so much about the profession that, you know, you were brave enough to report, you know, disgusting habits, which Mark said he might have just uh, seen it, been disgusted and walked away. You know what, though? I, I'm I guilty have, of it. I, I don't know. But I'm guilty I of it. I told you, I, I heard of a therapist and I, I know her and I know the, the other therapist told me that she has seen her, you know, not wash the blanket, not whatever. Neither of us reported her. I've seen therapists touch their did phones. You, and did go, you talk to her though about it? I, I'm sorry. No, this is all hearsay. We didn't, I okay. didn't work with her by the time I heard this. Another therapist told me, you know, so-and-so. And I was like, yeah, I used to work with her. And then I found out, you know, she's not washing her blankets right. or she's throwing it on the floor. So this is all hearsay. But the point is other people have noticed these behaviors in her and we haven't reported anything. Well, it's like it's like I was saying about being audited. Like, there's a dude that I met through being a participant or a student in one of our courses, and he got dinged for all of this hygienic stuff during his peer assessment to the point where he was told by his peer assessor and ultimately the college that you're probably going to have to have a mentor. And so the peer assessor creates a report and they give it to the quality assurance committee and they review this report and they're like, nope, this guy's going to need a mentor. And his mentor was all about cleanliness. So he was requiring another massage therapist in good standing with the college to show up at his clinic on a mo- on every Monday morning, I think it was for eight months or 12 months or something like that to make sure the place was clean. And if it wasn't clean, he wasn't allowed to open that week. I'm like, and the guy asked me to be his, his mentor. I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. dude. <laughs> I want nothing to do with this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cleanliness, I didn't realize was such a, a difficult thing. And I, I like what you brought up earlier, Mark. Like if everybody knew what you were doing, would you still do it? Or would you be proud to tell people what you're doing? And if everybody else was doing what you were doing, would you be okay with it? And honestly, I think everybody needs to check themselves once in a while Mm -hmm. and make sure like, would I be okay if I went to a massage therapist and they were cleaning their space the way I'm cleaning my space? Mm -hmm. And if that answer is no, then you've got to, you got to figure out your, your cleaning habits. Yeah. Those are principles from, from a basic idea on an ethical decision-making model. Yeah. When you're trying to figure out, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? What should I be doing in these moments? Well, apply these uh, part of the model is applying these three different things, right? Applying this principle of publicity, applying this principle of universality and applying the principle of justice. In other words, what what's fair in these scenarios? If we were to change places, what would be fair here? Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a small part of an ethical decision making model, but it's, it's pretty basic stuff. It is pretty basic. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't want to do any of this or I don't want to be part of it. If it's like this, then chance are you shouldn't do it. When I got Pierce 
assessed. I mean, they wanted to see the product I was using to clean. They wanted to see where I kept it. They wanted to see my cleaning log, the maintenance log. So I mean, I don't know how therapists are getting way away with being kind of gross because because no one says anything like 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 me. Like I'll see it when someone's doing it, and I won't say anything because uh, I don't know, man. I don't. as much as I love the profession and everything else, I don't feel like I'm a champion for the profession and therefore I got to do, uh, you know, you know what I mean? I'm not, the, I don't wear a badge for the profession. So at the end of the day, I kind of leave people to do what they do. It's your, your, your business, the way you operate your space. And I don't know, maybe that's a poor attitude to have, but I think that comes with getting old too. I, think I just if, don't give a I shit think about if a lot you of saw things. Something, I, don't <laughs> I think much. if you saw something really bad, that would make you think, but I don't think either one of us have well, ever seen what's, some, what's really bad. Well, I don't know, but I'm saying, for example, me hearing that a therapist throws the blanket on the floor and puts it back on the table, I guess at the time, I didn't really think like, okay, that warrants me, like, for one thing, I didn't see it, but yeah. I didn't think that warrants me reporting this person. But like, have you ever seen anything that you're like, eh, that- I wouldn't report someone right away anyway. Like I would have a discussion with them first. Yeah. I would never go to straight off, hey, I'm going to report this or I'm going to report right. that. Or I'm, you know, I, that's just not the way I operate. It would be, listen, this is what I'm noticing and this is why these are not good ideas or this is the college policy or this is the legislation that says you shouldn't be doing this mm-hmm. and this is what you should be doing. Are you aware that this exists? And if they're like, oh, well, maybe they just don't know, yep. right? Which baffles me. But nonetheless, that could be the reality where they just don't know. Yeah. So I'm much quicker to say, like, let's have a discussion before I, before I'm calling the cops. You know what I mean? Before, like, I'll come to your house and say, can you turn the music down a little bit? Versus I'm going to pick up the phone and say, I've got a noise complaint. Like, that's just... That's just the way I roll. So it's the same scenario here. Your blanket's on the floor. Let's talk about this. Yeah, right? Why is your blanket you're, on you're the You're touching floor? your phone while you're texting while you treat. Let's talk about this. Right. But I know some people that are the, the, the complete opposite. They run straight to like, let's complain. Let's file a formal complaint. I'm like, let's slow this fucking thing down a little bit, right? <laughs> like to me, the only way you're, you're filing formal complaints all the time is if you are fucking squeaky clean. Like look at yourself in the mirror first. And if you got, if don't, throw fucking stones glass houses people do you know what i mean let's yeah. let's take care of it first before we start uh, calling out the guns I what agree. do i know man right uh, i think that just comes with getting older too though <laughs> i really do yeah i uh i love the transition because now i'm the operator i don't have to you know you're your best advertisement as well especially for setting up the next appointment honestly i wouldn't have it any other way with regards to kind of being the operator the booking the taking care of everything I just, for anyone coming out of school and they're just not sure about that. And I just had to, had to let you know that that's, that's up ahead. If you choose one of those places, it's the possibility you might inherit one of those situations. Are you a control freak, Sean? No, not at all. I'm a very Sagittarius. Uh, I don't know what that means. Tell me what that means. <laughs> Five moon Sagittarius. I'm about as Sagittarius as it gets. So Mark knows nothing about astrology, and I got to be honest with you. I know oh. I know certain things about certain signs. <laughs> you sound disappointed in that. <laughs> yeah. I, like, oh. <laughs> I, I know certain things about certain signs, but I will be honest with you. I think I only have one Sagittarius friend. So tell everybody who really? doesn't know anything about astrology, what is a typical Sagittarius? What are these characteristics you're referring to? Sure. Uh, extremely loyal, uh, friendly, very nice, um, forgiving, 
um, be myself, I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to the work side of it, but you don't um, say, I guess that's probably, <laughs> probably where you guys are picking up on that. Yeah. I was totally joking about the control freak thing, but it's very similar to this Leo here sitting in the room. Mark is, he likes things a certain way, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with. So for him bringing on other people, like at the moment, it's pretty much just him and I that, that were that run con ed and that practice here. And, you know, we've had people approach us who want to collaborate and do different things. And there is always a bit of a hesitation because he likes things to run a, a very specific way. And, you know, I've been working with him long enough that I understand that. So it's fine to have me here, but bringing on someone else, I think would bring on a little bit of anxiety of, are they going to do things the way we right. like things done? Fun fact about the Leos, they embarrass, like you'd never want to embarrass a Leo and if you get a Leo upset, they get very upset. So that's one thing I've learned about the Leos. Don't embarrass the Leos. I would agree with that. And, but I mean, I think that my personality as well, like I wouldn't want to do, I wouldn't, would, I would never want to embarrass Mark in public. So like if we that's were, true, eh? like I would never, I, never. I know your personality. You, even if I was, even if I was upset with you, privately. yeah, even if I was upset with him and we were in a public space, I would always wait to have a discussion privately because I can already, I can envision the reaction and it would not be a good one. You would not be somebody that would want to have any kind of display of anything in the public eye. No. No. Right. I'm a private dude, though. You are a private guy. When it comes to Do you guys shit. mind if I nerd out to you guys just a bit more? No, man. Nerd away. So, I, Oh, sweet. So I started uh, kind of like a self-care treatment for clients outside of work. So the biggest thing that I do is I try to get everyone in water. I think water is one of the best self-care treatments because it's the one chance you can decompress all your ligaments and joints at the same time. And uh, a steam room, for instance, um, it's very good for kind of sweating out plastic. We have too much plastic in our foods and it uh, reduces cancer up to 30%. So it's good to be in the steam rooms, water. I am a huge fan of Epsom salt baths. So for certain clients that are really serious about it, I actually buy them buckets so they can do Epsom salt buckets. And you stick, you know, shins, feet, mm. stick your arm in for those who don't have time to actually do the Epsom salt bath. But I kind of devised like a treatment for anyone who's like wants to be knowledgeable about how their body works and what they can do outside of massage that'll kind of help them get there to the next massage. I like that. I like the hydrotherapy stuff. Yeah. Uh, Cause not a lot of people yeah. realize like the, the, the value in hydrotherapy, especially with hydrotherapy where you have water go through a change of state. Like that's when you can have massive amounts of, of heat energy transference from a hydrotherapy application to the body, right? So that's when you start taking a look at things called specific heat and latent heat. So if, if you've ever taken anything about hydrotherapy or even just anything to do with water, you'll know that the, the definition of specific heat is, is looking at to change the temperature of one gram of pure water, one degree Celsius, requires one calorie of energy. So every time you kind of moving up the scale in terms of degrees, it's, it's, it's one calorie, one calorie, one mm -hmm. calorie. And that's the heat energy transfer that takes place. Well, when you have a change of state, it's a massive difference. It's not a jump from one calorie to one calorie, one calorie. When you go from a solid ice 
to a liquid, water, so you're causing the melting of ice on the body, that's an extra 80 calories per gram that you're dealing with. So it's not a one calorie, it suddenly jumps 80. And it's even crazier when you look at it from going from steam to water, right? So if you're in a steam room, that heat absorption, once you have that change of state from a gas to a liquid, that's an extra 540 calories per gram. It's, it's insane. So whenever I'm doing hydrotherapy stuff, like cold, I don't just use cold packs. No, no, no. No, we're doing ice massage, right? Because I want yeah. that. I want that massive effect of the ice melting, that change of state, or an ice bucket, like a slush bucket, right? It's not just a, a cold, a cold foot bath or or a cold hand bath. No, no, no. It's a slush bucket. That way, we can get that change of state. Yeah, a lot of people don't utilize a lot of hydrotherapy stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I want to. I feel like I want to start using it more. I remember the first time I gave an ice massage to one of my regular clients yeah. um, on his shoulder. He's had multiple shoulder injuries. So pretty much if you were to assess him, everything's wrong with his shoulder. Ligaments are fucked up. The capsule's fucked up. Like he's just, he's had so many injuries to this one shoulder. So I was doing ice massage and he's like, wow, nobody's ever done this before, which didn't surprise me because as Mark said, hydrotherapy is not that common, I feel like, among a lot of therapists. But the setup is such a pain. It's, yeah, it's kind of a pain. But we did, I think, three or four treatments and I used ice massage in these treatments and still, that was probably three, four years ago, I would say. And still to this day when he comes in, um, I don't see him as frequently now because he's doing a lot better, but he'll always say like, I still can't believe how you fixed my shoulder with ice. Like it was so effective using the ice massage that he claims that I fixed his shoulder with ice. I'll just yeah, let him say like, that. I would, <laughs> I would love to have a, a hydrotherapy set up in here. Man. Oh, That'd that would be so, be so cool. awesome. Like I would love to have like a shower and a hose and everything else. Like that way you can do things like effusions and blitz gusses and stuff like that. And those are really cool. If you never had them done go 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 check it out, right? A blitz gust is essentially getting cold water in a in a very fast stream but in a given pattern on the body um it's it's actually really cool do a lot of things like with slush buckets especially for things like edema in the ankles or varicose veins and i would do things like stork walks in a slush bucket right that way you have kind of the cold hydrotherapy to cause that vasodilation to shunt blood out but then you have the contractions happening of the muscular tissue to act as a pump as well to shunt blood out it's it's awesome stuff if when you start to use it in combination and i use it a lot for things like acute injuries, right? Like acute sprained ankles and things like that. That way you can start to introduce movement really quick and you can deal with the pain and discomfort right away. So you can use the cold hydrotherapy to kind of numb the pain and discomfort and then get that range of motion happening right there in that slush bucket, right? So I would have them do active range of motion in the slush bucket. Yeah. I would get my hands in there, do passive range of motion in the slush bucket, joint mobilizations in the slush bucket. So all that stuff that I might not have been able to do to help restore movement really, really fast because I didn't have this cold hydrotherapy that I can use to sort of numb out the pain. My mind's going a million miles awesome. a minute now thinking like, <laughs> how can we get a hydrotherapy set up in I here? I can't get a hydro, <laughs> but I would love to have like a full on, you know, steam room, shower, tub, because you know you can do a whole bunch of cool things. So many things. Dry sun. So your question that you, you guys posed, um, you've done it a few times, like if you were to become a millionaire would you quit the job or take the money? My my answer to that, I was I've always thought wanted to tell you guys this. I was always thinking about it when you guys were saying it on the show. Yeah. But uh, if I was to become a multimillionaire, I would create, you know, the type of massage experience I always wanted with steam room, sauna, all those treatments. 
that that's what I would do with the money. Mm. From an episode way back, I said something similar, that if I were to win a bunch of money, I would get us a beautiful clinic space with a classroom to run our courses, with a recording studio. <laughs> like I would, I would still so want to, I still want to do what, you know I, do, what I, would do? I do, but I would want to do it in style. You know what I would do? I would yeah. go get a fucking big warehouse and fill it with as many types of different motorcycles that I would love. I'd go make a nice. shop where I can build bikes. I'd go buy a whole bunch of vintage cars. And I'd say, bye bye, massage world. <laughs> it, it kills me because these car guys, I'm like, you're so fucking talented. It's insane. It's like, I know people here, they destroy a car in like seven years and they can't figure out how to fix it and no mechanic can fix it. And these motherfuckers, I saw this guy just revive like a 1930s fucking Dodge Power Wagon or something like that. And I'm like, this guy can bring this to life. Why can't you get your Toyota fucking Corolla to work? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. I come from a family of classic car collectors. That's all my dad and my dad's brothers. My dad's actually the only one who doesn't own any classic cars. He mm. never really got into it, but he's one of he's one of 15 kids and there's five boys in that family and all four brothers aside from my dad have uh, multiple classic cars that they've restored. That's like a thing in my family, but I don't know anything about it. Well, thank you for reaching out. We love you, brother. I love you guys too. Love <laughs> the show. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for uh given me a voice and uh, I just want to say I'm there for anyone who's struggling, the struggling student. Um, also, I just wanted to say that I uh, wanted to reach out to the deaf and blind community because I think there's a communi- uh, communication barrier and uh, I would in the next five years would love to get the voice out and work on more clients that just don't, uh, the deaf and blind, they just don't come out enough to get massages. So putting awareness out there for that. Interesting. A new niche for you. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Right on, brother. It's been fun. Thanks for hanging out today. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.